Welcome to Radar. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. Even though listening and collecting music are wonderful pastimes, it's when you're able to actually share in the creative process of performing, creating, and playing music with someone else that true bonds are forged. Avi Wisnia and I met while both performing at the now-defunct New Jersey Songwriters Conference, which took place for many years in beautiful Cape May, New Jersey. Avi would perform his set, I would perform mine, and many other talented songwriters would perform their sets as well. We all cheered each other on, networked, and learned more about each other, but also about the commonalities that many of us faced in the often difficult career path of songwriting and performing music. Like any good communal experience, not all of the relationships made during those conferences survived, but the very meaningful ones did. I'm pleased that Avi is one of the few performers with whom I've kept in touch, and I was excited to learn that he's released a new album titled Catching Leaves. The album is a mature and adult contemporary affair that straddles the line between jazz, pop, and samba, commonly illustrating Avi's musical individuality. So join me as I introduce to you this wonderful Philadelphia-based songwriter. We discuss the crafting of his new record, how it's a real Philly experience, his historic musical lineage, and much more. Most importantly, however, you'll hear two musicians chew the fat about the hours we've both spent behind the piano keys and who have a deep mutual and musical respect for one another. You'll hear us connect as colleagues and as friends, but also as something much more rare and treasured. As songwriters, you know, there's a lot of sophisticated kind of characteristics on this new record. And and uh, what happened to uh, adult contemporary pop, like in the you know later Billy Joel and Bruce Hornsby and Don <laughs> Henley? You know, you lean a little more on the jazz spectrum, but I can feel that influence in your music. And when you're not playing Avi originals, what are you what are you listening to? Is there a song from that era? Um, uh, that, that, does that make sense to you that I say that? Or is there, is there, is there yeah, from that era that, that you feel connection with? I certainly, uh, you know, grew up listening to Billy Joel and, and Elton John and also classic songwriters like, uh, James Taylor and Joni Mitchell. And I mentioned Stevie Wonder before, and also a lot of pop music, you know, was, I think when I was really young, I was listening to, um, like Jody Watley and Debbie Gibson. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of, um, I think there's something about, right, the genre of adult contemporary, if you want to call it that, it's something that is a little bit sophisticated, but it's very accessible. You know, there's a good, I, I did listen a lot to the radio, I think, for a lot of us kids of the 80s and 90s, that that was still how we listen to a lot of music was in the car, right? With right. with a lot of those stations. And so that's how I would uh, hear a lot of my music. And I loved a good melody. And for me, that kind of thing that that is, when you hear a song that is accessible, it has a good hook, but it's not, it's not dumbed down. It's not watered down. There's still something, there's meat to it. And, and that's what I like, that kind of combination. Right. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the car. I always like to say this song, this is a uh, back of my friend's mom's Lincoln Continental song, because I remember, you know, having a friend's mom drive us around or whatever and sitting in the back of the car and like listening to the just the radio. And and I, I whenever I hear certain music and I, I frankly, I name those guys, you know, like Don Henley solo stuff. Yeah, sure. oh, there I am bouncing around in the back of the uh, the, the Continental going to uh, McDonald's or wherever we were going. But um, yeah, you know, it is it is a sort of a lost 
uh, subgenre of, you know, serious. At that time, those guys were getting very serious. Don Henley, like, this is a serious rock and roll album. We're going to talk about serious stuff. Jackson Brown, you know, and Billy Joel's Stormfront. They were very serious. You're not, you know, you're not serious like that, but there is a, a contemporary adult uh, vibe that I that I did appreciate and enjoy on the record. Well, thank you. You know, it's, it's funny. I also think about like the bands I would, you know, the stuff on the radio that would come on in the car and like um, Steve Winwood, you know, Bruce Hornsby is, totally. is someone I really love. And, you know, it's funny because these are, these are musicians that wrote pop songs, but they have amazing musical chops, right? Like Bruce Hornsby has done a lot of improv and jazz recently, but, but his songs are radio pop hits and, and you can hear some of that jazz influence or, or some of the, you know, more elaborate chords. And um, I do think some of that is is coming back lately, uh, especially I think kind of kicked off with like Nora Jones and how big Adele has become, you know, there is some return to like acoustic music, uh, you know, quote unquote, more, you know, more sophisticated uh, song or just a good, a good song from a good songwriter with good acoustic instruments. Right. Um, uh, and you mentioned those uh, female artists, and I think of uh, Bonnie Raitt. You know, uh, Nick of Time, and all those songs, or uh, and, and where she's with Bruce Hornsby on "I Can't uh, Make You Love Me." Uh, yeah, those songs just were so. Um, you know, they really they they have a lot of, uh, as you said, good bones. They have good bones. Those tunes for sure. I think something else, another characteristic of them is they're they're kind of timeless. There's something retro about them, which I guess is kind of a characteristic of my music too, that kind of throwback feel or a nostalgic feel, but it also can be of any era. You know, it doesn't really place you so squarely in a, in a decade, you know, it's not like um, some, some genres that are kind of frozen in time or so associated with, you know, really a decade. Right. Um, but they're kind of timeless. The album, you know, the production is great. The arrangements are great. Tell us a little bit about putting this record together uh, musically. Yeah, it was um, it was really a, a joy to get back into a studio. You know, it had been a long time since my last album. And when I hear when I write these songs, I hear them with certain arrangements. But I, you know, and I have an idea of kind of where I want it to go. But I also like to leave some space for great musicians to add their stamp on it and for the magic to happen in the studio, right? You need to leave a little bit of wiggle room because sometimes things don't sound as you think they will. And um, so I tapped a great bassist uh, friend of mine that I had first played with um, in my band when we played at a, at a, a jazz night at a museum and uh, loved his musicality and his ear and his um, amazing musicianship and he had arranged and played with uh, Melody Gardot um, for a while on tour. And Ken Pendergast uh, is his name. And um, so, you know, I wanted somebody that had a good a good relationship that I knew as a good guy and also a good musician. Uh, and he was really both of those things. So he produced the album and he helped me assemble the band and put together a great team of artists who who really brought out some great ideas in my songs and helped bring them to life. Had and you had a, had you, had you had an official producer in the uh, previous album or was it, uh, you kind of did it, right? Oh no. Glenn, oh, is this no, the, Glenn Barrett at uh, at Morningstar. Mm -hmm. So th that's the same fellow that did this too. 
So actually, so Glenn Barrett uh, runs the studio. Oh. And so he produced the first album. Um, and then we went back to his studio because Ken, uh, Ken, the bassist and producer, I see. worked Ken. there a lot of time as a session player. So these are, it's all the same Philly orbit, That's right? Cool. These are all very Philly based musicians, which I loved and wanted it to really have a hometown feel because this was a all, all written and photographed, right? And, and inspired by a lot of things in and around Philly. And so we went back to that studio because it's an amazing studio with really great equipment. And of course, the most important to me is this beautiful Yamaha C7 piano that just, <laughs> you know, you just do it. think into it when you play. You know, there's some instruments that make you a better musician when you play them. That is this piano. That's right. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, used a lot of these musicians that were also used to playing with each other on different projects. And, and that makes a big difference, right? I had moved out of New York from where I had put together a band for many years and traveled and moving back to Philly, I didn't have a band anymore. And it really takes a long time for that camaraderie and that musicianship bond to form, right? To know how people are going to play to anticipate. It makes such a difference. And to kind of have that built in with all these musicians that were used to playing with each other, with a producer who I had played shows with before, it really made made a big difference, especially for this really organic sound where we were all in a room or in isolated rooms, right, playing music together. Right. Well, you've always had cool uh, players in uh, to joining you at your live concerts. I remember that uh, uh, Br Brazilian female drummer. Uh, what was her name? She was very nice. Oh yeah, so I had um, teamed up with uh, long time ago. And, um, songwriter uh, Denise. You're talking about Denise That's Hayes, right. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that I had teamed up with. We actually went on tour in Brazil and uh, and went on tour in the states together. Yeah, I had a, a drummer um, from uh, Kansas uh, whose name was uh, Kim Gary, and uh, I had a guitarist from Japan, Toru Takiguchi. I remember and, him. Uh, he was a very cool guy too. Very cool guy. My bass player was from Israel. So he had like a United Nations of, of, um, of a band when I was in New York. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, and I noticed on this album, you co-wrote two songs, you know, uh, with someone, uh, is this is kind of a new thing, right? You're, you're not, you don't usually have a co-written music on your records, right? That's right. I usually, um, write everything myself very solo. Um, but I have a good, uh, childhood friend of mine, uh, we go way back. I think we were in preschool together and um, we've stayed in touch and there's a good, really a, a good group of my childhood friends that we're still in touch no matter where we are in the country. Um, we've stayed really close and he's done some writing on his own, but he, uh, he will admit, uh, he'll be the first to admit that he's not a musician by any means. So I think over, you know, a few years ago, he had sent me just a stack of lyrics that he had written out and he said here just see if you could do something with these and um a few of them kind of uh really spoke to me in fact one in particular that ended up being turned into the track heat lightning i really liked it because i went to summer camp with this friend his name's seth kroll and um up at summer camp in the poconos we used to experience a lot of heat lightning mm. and so um I just thought that really, you know, spoke to our relationship and the memories we have together. And also that idea of having a lot of history 
with somebody, you know, whether it's a lover or a friend or a family member and that kind of simmering tension that can happen from, you know, stuff that's unspoken, that's kind of simmering off in the distance, like a, a storm that you, uh, you know, that's just kind of off there that you're uh, witnessing the lightning, you know, you're feeling the repercussions, the reverberations, you know? Right, right. See, adult content, these are adult topics. <laughs> it's real, real stuff. Real adult stuff. No, that's cool. It's really, it's <laughs> it's great. Um, and speaking of the Poconos, you know, you're a little Philly, you're a little New Jersey, you're a little uh, New York. Mm -hmm. uh, talk a little mm -hmm. bit about your geographic roots. And uh, you mentioned before this is this album is kind of a return to sort of you being a more more of a Philly. This was kind of a Philly project, but um, you know, where where are you with your geographic roots right now? Yeah, a very a Philly, firmly Philly based now. Um, so I am a true tri-stater, I guess, because I was born in New Jersey, right? Son of a rabbi in the Princeton area. Um, we moved across the river to Bucks County, Pennsylvania, okay. and then I ended up going to school in New York and stayed there for about 10 years where I started making music and assembled the band that I had mentioned. And then as I realized that, you know, music was really going to be the thing that I wanted to pursue. I ended up coming back to Philly, which is the city that I had grown up outside of, but had never really known. You know, I, I knew New York better than I knew Philly. Right. So moving back was kind of a chance to reclaim my hometown. Like I would, when I would go abroad, I would tell people all the time I was from Philadelphia, like I grew up outside of Philadelphia and they would sing me like the, the Will Smith theme song, but I never really knew Philadelphia as a city. So now coming back, um, being a songwriter here in Philly, it's been great as a, a home base because there's such a communal feel that you don't get in um, a lot of other cities. And there's really this kind of support system that, um, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible place to be a musician. A lot of great venues and radio stations that really show support to local artists. And in fact, when I moved back, I started a songwriters collective in my tiny little living room that has since uh, seven years later has grown to over, you know, 200 people on a mailing list. And we, before wow. the pandemic, we would get together every month and workshop songs together. And we've started collaborating and co-writes have happened from it. And people have gone on tours together from it. And just that kind of thing makes me really appreciate the music scene happening now in Philly and that this is my home base and being closer to family. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why I'm loving Philly right now. Rocky, Rocky Balboa. And Rocky. And Rocky and cheesesteaks. But I love Philly. I haven't <laughs> been there in a long time. I, I visited once or twice. And uh, it is when you're from, uh, you know, uh, I'm just a stone's throw from the city here. And we love New York City. And uh, but but you you do recognize when you when you go to Philly, it's like, oh, this is a little more approachable. You know, you can you can enjoy it on a different level. It's a it's a great uh, it's a great town. And and it's so amazing for for those of us in the tri-state area, as you say, sometimes we forget there's this whole other giant city right over there we don't have to go you know take it take an extra 20 minutes to get to uh to philly i mean uh with traffic and everything getting into the city takes an hour half the time but well uh, and that's that's you know it's definitely certainly one of the factors of relocating back to philly was that it's so accessible for a lot of the cities that i like to tour and like to play right so you can get up and back to New York in a day, down to DC. I just played DC last week, a festival there. Um, could drive up to Boston. You know, it's it's really nice being in Philly. It's very central. 
and a lot of artists tend to come through Philly, um, but it is very close to New York. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great central hub. It's a great place to be. Somebody Else's Fault is one of my favorites on the album and maybe a little bit on the dark side, but can you talk a little bit about that song? Yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the songs on this album come out of a, a kind of uh, dark time where I was trying to process a lot of um, the grief and sadness and depression. Um, my brother had passed away from a brain tumor a few years earlier, and we were really close. And I think especially, you know, you can hear it peppered throughout this album, but certainly this song, Somebody Else's Fault, just feels like when you're at the mercy of life, right? Scenarios beyond your control. Sure. Um, and you're trying to grasp at straws of, of how to gain, gain control back in your life and, um, and, and what that loss of control kind of means when you're trying to find your footing. And uh, it's, it's really hard sometimes and you want to blame everybody else or blame circumstances. Um, and it's just kind of sitting with that kind of feeling that makes you feel like you're losing your footing. And um, so that's kind of the exploration of that. And I hope people can kind of, uh, you know, relate to that feeling of really trying to make sense of the world when the world doesn't make sense. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, last year, your your dear grandfather, David Wisnia, he passed away and he had a long history as a cantor and uh, he lost his mother, father and younger brother uh, by the Nazis and was a prisoner at Auschwitz for three years. And eventually he was freed by the Amer. What a story. What an amazing story. Uh, he was freed by the Americans and joined the American forces engaging in combat against the Germans until the war was over in 1945. But there's so much more to the story. Can you tell everyone the rest of the story that I missed in the relationship you had with your grandfather musical and and otherwise yeah actually my my grandfather um you know i have a very close family and for a long time my grandfather didn't really talk to anybody about his experience in the holocaust and what he went through so you mentioned he his whole family was murdered he was the only one that survived and for a long time he didn't talk about it and slowly over time we started to hear um, pieces of his story. And one of the through lines of his life has always been music. He was a child's prodigy singing in Warsaw, where he was born in Poland. And he continued singing later in life, as you mentioned, as a cantor in New Jersey, here in the States. And singing also is part of the reason that he survived the Nazi death camp, because he was actually chosen to sing and entertain the Nazis. So music literally saved his life in the camp. Right. And Towards the end of his life, as I became more of a musician myself, we shared that bond, that kind of love of music. And, you know, I, I think it's one of the things I'm most grateful for in my life that towards the end, I think music helped him open up about his story mm. and what he went through. And music was a way for him to talk about his experiences without really getting into the details or access emotion that maybe he couldn't in words, but he could right. do it with music. And so I would accompany him on piano. I took one of his songs that he wrote and translated it into English. We ended up, you know, going to schools and museums and even back to Poland itself and performing together. And it was a way of not just keeping the music alive and, and, and keeping him singing, but also keeping his story, his story alive and his memories of his once happy childhood alive. And it really became a project that became so so meaningful to me. And it's it's funny that 
for a long time after I moved out of my house and moved to New York. You know, I got really used to being a traveling musician and going on the road. I never imagined I would be going on the road with my 90-year-old grandfather. And yet that's what happened. We would perform, as I said, you know, we'd go back to Poland. We performed all over the United States together in lots of different cities. And I really, um, uh, you know, and it was actually that bonding with him and making music with him that helped me find my way back to music when I felt so lost after my brother had passed away Mm. because I saw my grandfather in the way he was able to access these, these memories and these painful things, but he was still able to move forward with his life, right? There's some things you never move on from, you never move on from um, really close loss and and grief, but you find different ways to move forward carrying that. And hopefully something beautiful comes, comes out of it. And, um, and, and that was what music did for him. And that's what music did for me. Yeah, what an amazing story, and uh, how fortunate you were to have an adult uh, relationship with your fa- with your grandfather that uh, you know you could enjoy music together. I mean, some, some of, I didn't have. Unfortunately, my grandfathers uh, were gone when I when I was already very young. Well, one of them I had had died before I was even born, uh, and the other I was just a little kid. You know, I was five or something. But it's such a different experience that you were able to enjoy that, not only enjoy him and his personality, but to enjoy you know, sharing music together. Yes. Absolutely. To get to know your, right. It's a funny thing when you start to get to know your parents and your grandparents as people, you know, especially your grandparents, not just like people that take you out to lunch. And my, my family loves a good lunch. And my grandfather took me out to many lunches, but you know, to get to know him as a person and to, especially that he lived long enough and was willing to share enough that I got to ask him questions about things that he went through and some things that he, you know, that he, that was too painful to go into that, you know, it's, I, I, I would try and um, be respectful of, of that. Right. Um, there were some things he couldn't talk about. And yet there were some things that over time, because people asked, because our family asked and we said, no, we, we want to know because we care that he started to open up a little more. And um, yeah, I will always be grateful for that. And, and, you know, one one lesson that that teaches me actually is to that I try to impart to people is to ask those stories of your family now while you can, right? right? Even if it's your parents or your aunts, the power of knowing where we come from and the stories of what our family had to endure and even, you know, where they lived, the fact that I got to visit Poland and to to hear some Polish music and to know that that's in my heritage is um, so valuable to me. And I, you know, I think it's a, a wonderful thing for people to kind of delve into their family history and heritage like that. Makes me cry is right up my alley. Bouncy, uh, mm-hmm. it's clever, uh, but you still show so much restraint and taste, particularly on the piano playing. I'm listening to that. I'm going, if that was me, I'd be going, but I'm listening. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 as I've said to you before, I like to play piano with you because you're an actual piano player. And, <laughs> And it's fun to listen to you play because you actually know uh, how to play the piano. But tell us about that song. I really, that's one of my favorites too on the record. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, uh, we've talked about a lot of heavy stuff and, and these songs do come from a real place, but I think there's also, you know, make me cry is also very uh, playful and, you know, I get a little, little dirty on the, on the piano, but um, 
uh, get a little, you know, throw some good bangs in there. I, I am a, a child of Ben Folds, you know, like I really grew up with Ben Folds. Right, he's your guy. He's um, your guy. I think I think you can hear him a lot on this um, on this track uh, quite intentionally. You know, he's um, uh, he's inspired me a lot, and um, it's funny because this this comes from uh, uh, the idea of you know growing up as a closeted gay kid. Um, you have to really hide yourself from people that you loved and have meaningful relationships with. And, and what does that mean to, um, you know, when you feel like it's necessary to hide yourself and that, you know, eventually when you have to, when you come out, it means that you've been keeping a secret from people and you have to reconcile with that. And that can be a little messy. Um, so instead of writing a kind of serious brooding song about it, I turned it on its head and made it something just kind of fun and bouncy and light and poppy and, you know, with the horns. And I just had a blast playing this song and performing it in the studio. That's a great one. Thank you. You're welcome. We talked about uh, in the past, you and I have talked about our mutual love of Brazilian music. And on this record, you cover Gingy, but instead of going full Brasileiro on it, mm -hmm. you bring it to sort of a more soulful, almost R&B place. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your love of Brazilian music and Jobim in particular? And how did you approach this track? Yeah, I've always, uh, well, always. I mean, I grew up as a son of a rabbi, so I was around a lot of songs in D minor, listening to a lot of the, you know, the songs of the synagogue, uh, not really exposed to a lot of Brazilian music. Um, but it was that music of Antonio Carlos Jobim, who composed The Girl from Ipanema, right? Maybe the most quintessential bossa nova song. Um, but his whole catalog and everything about that genre of music just spoke to me so much that I wanted to, to dive into it more. And I think, again, speaks to that just kind of mood and vibe that's so evocative of that music. So I've always been a big admirer of classic bossa nova, those classic tunes that have pretty much become uh, standards, right? In any, in any uh, jazz book or in any um, uh, like real book that you would read. And um, I wanted to do one that maybe wasn't as well known as that, but again, put my own spin on it. Right. And something about, I think, recording this album also is I, wanna, I wanted to lean into space. I wanted to lean into the idea of using silence as, um, uh, you know, another, like really another sound of the song. And so with this one, really opening it up, you almost find this very right R&B beat. I wanted the the drums to be a little bit off center. You hear it gets really dreamy at the end. And there's a nod to uh, Stan Getz, who plays saxophone on the original Girl from Ipanema. So we brought in a saxophone player who gets a very much a, a Stan Getz kind of sound. So it's very evocative of the classic bossa nova, but still taking it in a totally different direction, getting a little, a little trippy, a little hazy at the end. And I really, I'm, I'm really proud of, of what we did with that. And I, um, I love listening to that. That was a really fun one that we got to kind of experiment with sounds in the studio. And uh, you also revisit the Brazilian shoreline with the sky blue sky as as the closer on the album. And I, I know I've heard that uh, tune kicking around a lot in the last few years. Um, that's that's been around, right? That's you've, you've had that in the uh, repertoire for a while. Yeah, sky blue sky. I had written had written a while ago and actually 
recorded it back in 2015. And this was a really fun collaboration that I uh, recorded from my house here in Philly and then collaborated via satellite with um, my friend and producer, Bruno Miliari, who is a Brazilian in Rio de Janeiro. And he assembled a team of uh, Brazilian musicians in his place in Brazil. And then through the magic of the internet, we put it together. Right. And, um, and I released it as a single a few years ago. And it's always been floating around, just kind of untethered without a home. Right. And I knew that since it had been so long since I put out an album, uh, that I was hoping it would find a place on this album and would find a way to, to make it still sound cohesive, but it still sounds like something kind of of its own. And so that's why that ends up being kind of the final, I'd like to call it a bonus track because it finally has a physical form, right? It, right. It's on CD. If you still buy CDs, if you still get a CD, um, but it's in this collection of songs now. And um, I, I just love listening to it because it's, um, uh, there is definitely heavy Brazilian uh, influence in it. And um, when I listen to it, I forget that I wasn't in the same room, let alone the same country as um, as these great players. Right. Well, it comes across. It's really it's really cool. It's a great way to end the record, too. What else? Um, what else did you want to talk about the record that I'm not maybe I'm forgetting or not getting to, Avi? You know, I, you asked some great questions. We talked about Rocky Balboa a few times. Um, you know what? I, I'm actually about Rocky really... all day. I can talk about <laughs> yeah. Rocky all day. I love Rocky. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you held up, uh, the album and I hope people see it. Cause I'm, I'm also really, you know, I know people, uh, stream yeah, I'll hold it up again. I'll hold it up oh, again. Look, here it is. Catching leaves. <laughs> there you are. It's better than, I'm glad you're not raking leaves. Thank you. Yes. You know, yes, that's true. That's true. It's not as romantic, not as romantic to rake the leaves. But yeah. I'm sorry. What were you saying? Um? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm still the kind of music consumer that likes to hold something tangible. And here you are with your beautiful, uh, you know, vinyl collection behind you. Right. And I know people still, uh, listen to, um, uh, to albums in, in different forms. And I like that we were able to put something out that has artwork that coincides with um, the vibe that really, uh, you know, connects with Philly and connects with where I was at the time. So, um, you know, I, I just really, I'm, I'm glad that finally it took me a long time to get to this album and I'm just really excited for people to hear it. Well, I, I give you a big hearty congratulations. You had a vision and you went through with your vision. It it came true, Avi. You did it. Took some time. Took some time and we did it. And here good we are. Things, good things always do take time. And uh, listen, you know, we're both, uh, you know, part Polish guys from New Jersey. <laughs> you know, I'm a Catholic boy and I know how important your connection with, to uh, Judaism is. And it's very exciting this year. Easter and Pesach fall on the same weekend, Avi. So I wanted to yes. wish you a very uh, happy, uh, I, I hope I'm saying this right. How do we, what do you, Hag Samesh. Go ahead, you do it. Oh, it was so it was so close. You almost had it. Chag, you got to get that. The Chag, really good definition. Chag, Chag Sameach. Sameach. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Avi. Thank you. And and let me see if I'm getting this right. Is it um Happy Easter? <laughs> it's Happy Easter. <laughs> Did I get that pronunciation right? What it is. Yeah, that's how it goes. It's you got it perfect. I don't know either. Either way, there's great candy. 
in both holidays. And that's the most important part. Great candy. And of course, uh, as I said, since I'm uh, half Polish, we're both going to be eating plenty of smoked meats and uh, things <laughs> yeah. like that. So, uh, so boiled those, potatoes. <laughs> that's right. We have all those things in common. Well, Avi, I thank you so much for taking uh, time out to talk about your terrific new album with me. And I wish you the best of luck with it. And I hope to see you playing uh, some of this stuff somewhere soon. One of these days, hopefully it would be fun to play music. Uh, see you again. It really would. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you. And um, yes, I'll be out and about making music live and in person. So I hope to see you soon. Absolutely, Avi. All right. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and The Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com.